Welcome to the podcast. I am Shane Barker, your host of Shane Barker's Marketing Madness Podcast. In this episode, we'll be talking with my guest, Brian Fanzo, about the digital trends that will shape the future of marketing. He is the founder of iSocialFans, a company that helps brands launch digital and influencer strategies. He's also a world-renowned digital transformation influencer and business leader. Brian is a technology evangelist who helps companies embrace change and innovation. His podcast, FOMO Fans, helps cure people of their FOMO, which is a fear of missing out, in digital marketing, entrepreneurship, public speaking, and social media. Listen as he talks to me about entrepreneurship and becoming a successful keynote speaker. So we want to start off a little foundation for everybody listening to the podcast. So where did you grow up? Give us a little background here. Sure. So born and raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, hence the brand being black and yellow. Everything I have is black and yellow, but moved just before or middle school to Virginia Beach, Virginia. So I grew up about a block and a half from the ocean. Uh, it was really the best place in the world to grow up. Yeah. It was a big city, but not a big city. Uh, I kind of wish they had a sports team, but a lot of my family stayed in Pittsburgh. We still have season tickets for the Steelers. My family got them since 1969. So yeah, grew up in Virginia Beach and then went to college out at uh, Radford University, which is a small school, exactly 11 miles south of Virginia Tech. And I uh, got to be at school at the same time as Michael Vick, which was a heck of a lot of fun. I didn't miss a home game of his for his two years that he was at there at school. I played hockey um, there. I was uh, president of my fraternity. And uh, yeah, because that's kind of where this whole journey started. I ended up moving to Northern Virginia, worked for the government, and then uh, ended up in Arizona for a little bit. Now I'm back here in Virginia. So Virginia Beach, so tell me about that. So, you know, I'll tell you what's interesting to me. So I, I do know a little bit about Virginia Beach, but I was watching this. It was like on a coming back from an event, a speaking event. And I was watching like, it was like hip hop something. Anyways, it was like hip hop moguls or something. It talked about Virginia Beach, talked about Teddy Riley and how he moved to Virginia Beach from New York. And that's where he found the Neptunes and he found it was just kind of crazy. And then obviously like Timberland. And I, I didn't really realize the Neptunes were from there. And then anyways, it just was kind of a trip on how Virginia Beach was on the map in regards to not that we need to jump into hip hop. I thought that was really interesting, just the background there. And obviously it looks like a phenomenal place to live. Like you gotta be kidding me. It's an interesting place. So the cool story of that is Garland Mosley is actually the name of Timberland and his younger brother is Garland Mosley Jr. who was in my class in high school. So his brother got a brand new Beamer. I remember in 19, I think it was 1998 and Timberland dropped it off and the car behind him that it was actually picking up Timberland was a neon green Lambo driven by Missy Elliott. I mean, Missy Elliott grew up in Chesapeake, kind of that same yeah. area. Kind of crazy. I'm, I, you know, that part of it was insane. I've seen Pharrell around local parties in like early 2000s and like sports too. It's very Navy uh, surfer town-ish, not huge big businesses, but Allen Iverson holds a lot of the records for high school football as well as basketball. Of course, Michael Vick and Marcus Vick, uh, both are there. Plaxico Burris, Bruce Smith, Hall of Famer Bruce Smith, played at his golf tournament a lot. So Virginia Beach, it's an interesting city. You know, the reason we moved there is my dad got in a bad car accident in Pittsburgh and it was the longest one day drive you could make to get to the beach from Pittsburgh. It was a nine hour trip and that's where we spent our summers every year from growing up. And so when my dad's doctor said, hey, you need to be in a warmer climate and Pittsburgh doesn't exactly play yeah. that, we, <laughs> we moved to Virginia Beach. And I remember I was like, I never even heard of it. I didn't even know what it was. And it's kind of nice. It, it is kind of put on the map. It's kind of unsung. And you know, a lot of musicians as well as sports members still go back to their call at home because it's like it is an interesting place where tourism kind of runs it but at the same time it's very military background you know kind of a, a neat location to grow up 
Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it sounds kind of cool. We've got, obviously, I'm here in California. We've got yep. a few different areas. There's San Diego, obviously, is beautiful and beach, and it also is very heavy military as well, right? So, obviously, San Diego is probably bigger than Virginia Beach, but Virginia Beach is on my radar for a place to visit. I've heard about it more in the last few months than before, and I'd heard that it was a great area, but it just, for some reason, just recently, I've had more and more things talk about Virginia Beach, so you've intrigued me. I might have to come out here in another month or so. I like it. Um, yeah, assuming that corona doesn't take over the world and we all die, <laughs> which is not going to happen, folks. Don't worry. We probably have at least a few more weeks. So kiss your loved ones. But so tell us a little bit. So, okay, we're talking about, you kind of jumped into this in regards to like you worked at or out of college, you worked with the Department of Defense. So you did that for what, like seven years or nine years or something? Yeah, nine years. I actually, I got out of college, I actually proposed and got married right out of college. And her family's from Virginia, from the Northern Virginia, DC area. Couldn't get a job in IT. My major was business information, computer science. Couldn't get a job in IT, worked for UPS actually, delivering packages, became union. But one of the best jobs I've ever had in my life. I made really good money. I was in the best shape of my life. But I kind of realized quickly after about 18 months that if I didn't get into technology, the thing that I loved, I was going to be a driver for the rest of my life, which was not going to be a bad thing. It was just one of those decisions I made. And I ended up in line at a grocery store buying milk wearing my fraternity letters and the person in front of me was best friends with somebody that was in the same fraternity as me. And he kind of offered me the job in the line. He was like, hey, you know, do you know cybersecurity? And I was like, no. He's like, do you know what a, a vulnerability is? I was like, no, I didn't take cybersecurity classes in college. He's like, do you know what remediation is? I was like, no. He's like, do you like to learn? I was like, yeah. He's like, can you get a security clearance? I'm like, yeah, I can, I can probably do that. I don't, I don't know. I've never tried. And he's like, I think I can hire you. Now, I will tell you, it was, uh, I was making about like $90,000 as a UPS driver out of college, which is still you know, insane to think about. Yeah. And this was like a $31,000 entry-level overnight help desk job at the government supporting like one of the most boring software installations you've ever seen. But yeah, that's where the whole magic started. And I ended up growing. I took a lot of chances. You know, I had one of those things where I seized a lot of opportunities that were kind of thrown at me and they snowballed into these amazing things. And eventually I was running a team of a 32 direct reports, a very you know, multi-million dollar a year budget, uh, traveling around the world. I did three trips to Iraq, two to Afghanistan. I went to 54 countries over four years. But my first 30 hires were all older than I was because in cybersecurity really, I mean, and really it's where I got started in speaking. It's where I got started in a lot of this was, you know, in cybersecurity, there wasn't many people that wanted to be in that, especially this is early 2000s. And yeah. you know, I even had a, a boss come to me. is like, I'm going to make you the face, and this is a government, I'm going to make you the face of cyber because you're really like the only non-gray-headed person <laughs> that doesn't mind getting up on stage. Like literally that was like his... <laughs> And then they sent me to like this course and it was like communications course. And it literally was all about don't talk with your hands. Don't talk fast. Like pretty much everything that I do wrong now. That sounds like me. Like I literally had my hands. I'm like, I talk way too fast. Yep. Okay. And, that's, and I remember getting back from that and going, well, there goes that. And they were like, so they said, you're the exception to the rule. And, you know, I ended up speaking in front of the Joint Chiefs of Staff there at the Pentagon here in Washington, D.C. for four years, like every quarter. I mean, so that's why, like, for me, no stage I've ever been on is scary anymore when you have, like, you know, yeah. four-star generals in full military, you know, and not to mention, to get them to care about an expression. And I was talking about some of the most boring things yeah. from a cybersecurity <laughs> takeover and stuff. But, yeah, it was um, nine years there. And I tell you what, it was one of the hardest things to leave supporting the military, especially active duty with a lot of the military bases I was going to. But there was also a frustration for me where I was deploying software that was four years behind the times. Yeah. I would, I, we would literally tell them like, don't go to the website. What you see on the website, you cannot install because we can't use it, right? And a lot of the people I was training were people that, you know, on their entry paperwork into the military, they were like, I'm proficient with iTunes. 
and they would put them in a cybersecurity class to secure the drone network over Iraq, right? Like, and so like there was part Makes of this. Yeah, oh, of course, like of course there. Of course, why would I put on there like? Let's be real. At that time, like you know, like Facebook. This was all pre-iPhone, pre-Facebook, pre-social media. I loved the impact I was able to make and getting to work with the young women and men in the military. But I also kind of knew that I wanted to make a bigger impact in the world, and that was a big piece for me. And so I, it was actually after a promotion that we were kind of our contract was coming to an end, and there was this kind of like this feeling. I was like, you know what? I need to leave. I need to be done, and uh, I need to find what my next adventure is. And so I gave up my security clearance and all of that stuff and left the government. It was times, interestingly enough now, I use stories and examples from those nine years more so today than I ever have before because, you know, it was about collaboration and community. And I mean, like literally our job, my part of our team's job was to get the army to share cybersecurity policies with the Navy, right? Like literally that was our job. Like you could not pick a harder collaboration job. Like not only did they not want to do it, but they all felt like they knew what they were doing while at the same time, we were, you know, securing and protecting some of the people that were putting their lives on the line. So it went by fast, but it's times that I'm very thankful for and I leverage on stage often now. It's funny, man. You talk about that. I, I instantly thought of like marketing and sales, kind of like always yeah. trying to have that communication of getting them to be able to talk and work things out that there's always this tension. And obviously it's the same thing with that, right? It's like, all right, we're on the same team. So oh, yes. we got to kind of support each other. So I can, I can imagine the challenges that you got there. So, and so you're there for nine years. That's funny how you got the job. Cause I was interested in once again, doing a little background on you and knowing you through the different events I've seen you at and speaking at. It was weird. Cause I was like, God, how did he get into like DOD? I'm like really confused, you know, like with his background. And so that was it. You were just yep. buying milk at the right time and you answered the questions right which was no to everything that he asked you <laughs> yes. and then all of a sudden he says you know what as long as you like to learn which you're like yeah that sounds awesome and there we go and you're like yeah, how he- would you like to make one third of what you're making right now you're like that sounds even better like this sounds really awesome yeah, you should have seen me come home to my new wife at the time that was like a great one like hey i'm gonna take like a one third i tell you what it's been a lesson in my life all the time was this idea of being transparent and authentic. You know, one of the things I remember, and the crazy part is the person that hired me, that person that saw me in line, eventually worked for me as I got promoted up and he got to work directly for me. And, and it was a great bond and a relationship. It has also taught me a lot of things on, you know, how do you handle a lot of those scenarios? And I remember asking him later on, like, you know, like, what did you see in me? Like, you know, was it, you were that desperate and like, yeah. I didn't even have a clearance. And he was like, I didn't have to unlearn you anything. And the way that you answered it and the little bit of background that I gave him, he was like, you had this ability, you gave me this feeling, I could provide you any problem and you would find a way to solve. And this was like, it sounds like I'm trying to act like I'm that old, but 2003, 2004, where like, you know, it wasn't YouTube. Like, and I was using like SharePoint and, and some of these things that were out there to learn. You know, it's been the thing in my life. Like when I hire people, when I work with people still today, right, right now, the number one skill set I look for is your ability to roll with the punches. Yeah. We're getting punched pretty darn well right now, thanks to the beer virus. But um, yeah, it's interesting how those worlds kind of work, you know, kind of fast forward all these years later and it's it's a journey. Well, and also I see because your personality is a lot like mine. You've got, do you have ADHD? I do. I diagnosed at 31. Okay. Because you and I are like the same because I could tell by the way you talk and do things. I'm like the same way. I'm like, hey, look at this. I got 5,000 windows open. I'm talking here and doing this, moving my hands. And people are like, is Shane on drugs or should he be on drugs? I guess is probably the more, more important question. Like, should we medicate him or what can we put? Like maybe a tranquilizer or something like that would be awesome. Oh, in yes. his neck that he would know about. They could A-team my ass and get me up in a plane or something. But anyways, like, I recognize that. So how is that with, I mean, once again, we'll talk about, I, I want to jump into iSocial fans and how you started that yeah. as well. But like, how does that work? Like having ADHD and doing all the stuff that you do? Because you, you know, you have your podcast, you do the speaking events. How does that all work out? 
So it's interesting. So, you know, I was diagnosed at 31 years old. So I've been medicated since 31. The day changed everything for me. And I remember walking out of the doctor's office and it had nothing to do with actually being medicated. It had everything to do with, I felt like a weight was taken off my shoulders and it was like, wow, I'm different. I'm unique. I operate differently, but that doesn't mean I'm bad at what I'm doing, right? I struggled through school. Like, I mean, I remember going to my guidance counselor my junior year in high school and him asking me what I wanted to do after school. I was like, college. And he like laughed, like fell out of his chair. He's like, you have like a 1.4 GPA. Like, what do you mean college? And I just like, dude, I love school. I got perfect attendance. And he's like, yeah, but you don't go to class, right? Like he was like, you know, like it was that like, and I mean, I remember that and I got into college like on academic probation to start off college. And like my SATs were such a struggle for me. And even college where I felt like I wanted to learn and I, the classes were things that I selected. It was a massive struggle, but I was the youngest president of my fraternity. I was the assistant captain of my ice hockey team. I was like the only person in the school that would be running for student body in college that was in a fraternity that played hockey that was also a computer science major. So like during those times, my mom would always refer to me as like, she's like, Brian, you're, you were always unapologetically authentic and did things your way. But we kind of know like growing up that way, even though it's your way, it's still kind of one of those things of like, it would sure as heck be easier if I could read a book. I mean, reading, I was the Cliff Notes guy. I maybe read two or three books before I turned 30, right? And it was such a struggle, the, the concentration, the comprehension. But I found my way, right? You know, that job in the government, I would watch videos or I would record someone explaining something to me and then I would listen to it back. And so it was, you know, at 31 when I got diagnosed, it, and interestingly enough, I didn't go in there to like get ADHD diagnosed. I think a typical entrepreneur mind, I couldn't turn my brain off at night and I lay in bed for four hours. And it was like, I was always someone that slept a little bit of time, but all of a sudden I went through years of not being able to go to sleep. And, and my brother was diagnosed ADHD earlier and the medicine for him had scaled so fast. It changed his personality to where he had to get off of it. And so I didn't really want to be medicated or have that. And thankfully I had a really cool doctor that we do drug holidays every week. So one day of the seven, every single week for the last seven years, I don't take my medicine. And so that day is tough. That day is, you know, I definitely have to figure out how to calculate that correctly, but it's allowed me, my medicine is, you know, now still half the dose of what my younger brother had. And he had that at four years, right? And like, I haven't increased the dose in two years. But so I think when I look at it, one of the things, and I will say that, you know, I was diagnosed at 31. It took a weight off my shoulders. It took me until I was 34. I was going through a divorce. I have three young daughters. My brand, my business is taking off. But there was a sense of, okay, Brian, like, what does this all mean? Where does it all work together? Uh, you know, especially on the entrepreneur side of the house, which I can tell you, I worked for the government for nine years. I worked for a startup for five years. I've now been an entrepreneur for five years. Entrepreneurship is the hardest job of everything I've ever had. I don't, <laughs> I don't even pull a punch on that. It's, you know, yes, there's some benefits, but like, I loved my enterprise gig. I loved my startup gig. We were hiring yeah. 12 new hires a week. And so when I look at ADHD and like its impact, as I was going through these major life changes at 34, 35 years old, the thing that really started to realize was I was confident. I was very proud of who I was. I had, I had no problem with that, but I wasn't very self-aware. I wasn't very understanding of how I worked. And so like the diagnosis told me, hey, you're, you're, you are different. You do do things different. But I didn't change my life to embrace that, right? And so it was all of a sudden, it was now, like, I mean, if I look at it now, there's so many changes and I'm very transparent about ADHD, which also I can tell you helps. Like if you would have told me five years ago that I would even mention it on stage or on a podcast, I would like, no way am I talking about this. But for me, it's had such an impact. It's interesting. Like my girlfriend now, she talk, we talk about it a lot. It's 
it's one of those things that when you have become more self-aware, there's things that you can set up to make your life a little easier. And there's also things that you just have to embrace and own and say like, because now my thing is I have extreme focus, hyper ridiculous focus. Like I wanted to relaunch a website and build it myself. I mean, I ran 60 hours a week for two weeks straight on top of speaking and traveling to build this website. Like, I mean, it was, and I listened to 20 podcasts over that time, like to learn SEO because SEO wasn't my background. But I think for me, that's where ADHD has been. It's the blessing. It is my superpower, but it's also the thing that I make sure people understand so that if I don't reply to an email or they think I'm ignoring them and it's not an excuse. I'm just like, Hey, this is how I work. And this is what you're going to have to deal with. And, uh, you know, as well, it's a learning experience. Every part of it's a learning experience. But for me, it's, I mean, it was the greatest day that ever happened to me whenever the doctor said, holy cow, you, you max out on every line on every chart. <laughs> <laughs> you win. You're like, yeah, yep. when I win, you're like ADHD. Cool. What is that? Oh, sounds exactly. good. Yeah, I think, you know, it's funny. It is, you know, they call it not just with ADHD, but, you know, they say, I think that's a blessing and a curse. I mean, it's, I wouldn't say it's a curse, but, you know, it is interesting because once again, I was in high school. I was a wiry, skinny little kid. I mean, skinny. And everybody right. thought I was on meth. They're like, he must yeah. be on meth because he talks fast and he does this and he's always doing this. And he got, you know, and I finally got to a point and once in the same thing with not sleeping was never, I would go lay down and then when I had 10,000 thoughts and, you know, now right. I, have certain things I do where I write down and I have a list of 5 million things that I need to do the next day. And how can you defrag from all that? But it's been interesting. I've had it. It's been an interesting journey, just having that and knowing that you have it and then how you do things differently and how I set things up, how I set my business up to, you know, kind of prepare for these kind of things. Cause you know, every time I get on a call, I'm telling my team, Hey, I got a new idea. And they're like, Oh Jesus, not another new idea. What do you want to do now? I want to build a plane. We're going to build a plane. And they're like, okay, we're not building a plane. We're not going to build a plane. Let's, why don't we finish your course and then we can build a plane. Okay, deal. Let's do the course and then we'll build the plane. So yeah, shout out to my team. That's going to be editing this. We're we're not going to, we're not going to build a plane. That's one of the biggest byproducts of self-awareness, right? When you understand who you are and you surround yourself with people that know what you don't, but that are also willing and understanding how you operate, right? Like it's like, they don't teach us that in college, right? Not, there's, I don't know how the, like, that concept not only allows us to stay, you know, try go after our purpose and our passion, but I mean, I think I, collaboration is something I love to talk about and I love to push forward, but unless you're self-aware, you don't know who to collaborate with. And I mean, you're like me. I mean, we get hundreds of people are like, oh my God, we should work together. We have this idea. We should do something <laughs> and nothing comes at it, right? It's part of it's because like, until you know what you don't know, how do you surround yourself with a team that moves you forward? So kudos for you doing that because like, it's taken me a long while. I have a very small team that just started growing because I've been a one-man shop for so long. And so yeah. now that I have like three or four different components on my team, it definitely is one of those things that is fun to see kind of take fruition and push us forward. Yeah. It is nice once you get a, a good team in place. You know, you're like typical entrepreneur. We all were, right? It's like, hey, yep. we, I can take it all on. I can do it all. I can work 18 hours. I can work 20 hours. Don't worry. I can figure it out. And then you get to a point where you're like, okay, I'm getting a little older. This doesn't make as much sense. I've got a family. I've got this. I've got that, right? Like maybe we do this thing that we've, that's called delegation that we've heard <laughs> about that we're taught in school. And so, you know, now when you start getting the delegation, you get some good people in place. Most of the team members that I have been with me for probably almost seven years now on average. Wow. But it's been nice, but I also put good process is in place. I mean, then I didn't, that wasn't an overnight thing. Trust me. I had hundreds of people before this, before, you know, we got the team that we have. So anyways, well, let's talk a little bit with iSocial fans because I want to talk about the transition from the nine years of DOD and then coming into iSocial fans, how that all happened. And then I want to talk about your podcast, your speaking events. There's all kinds of fun stuff I want to talk about. So yeah, it's interesting. As I was working at the government, I ended up you know, getting my dream job, which was, I remember getting out of college and seeing what Guy Kawasaki was doing with Apple and building this cult 
you know, as an evangelist, right? I saw yeah. this like, and I was like, and I saw what Robert Scoble was doing at Microsoft. And so that was my dream job. And I was able to take it at a data center company, which is not sexy at all. Um, <laughs> but it was a booming startup data center. I was the 256th employee when I started. I was there for a little over two years and we had over 600 employees when I left. We were 12 new hires a week. And I was able to build the dream job where I reported to the CEO and I had a direct line to the CIO and the CMO. And I kind of operated in this like non-KPI freedom environment where I was in charge of like deploying internal collaboration software as well as external collaboration with our clients. And then I kind of became the CEO of the company to this day, one of the smartest people I've ever met in my entire life. Shout out to George Schlesman. But he was, he had no problem talking, but wasn't a huge fan of speaking or doing a lot of the interviews. And so I quickly became the face of that company, right? In the sense of, you know, the logos and we go to events that we sponsored. And so I was getting thrown on stages at Gartner and AWS reInvent, VMworld, because our brand was sponsoring it, right? So I was speaking there on behalf of those and it was amazing. I loved it. And I would, you know, I would go to the event, I'd be tweeting at the event. And at the time I was tweeting from a, a handle called Pittsburgh fans, because I was a Pittsburgh sports fan and that's what I used Twitter <laughs> for. And so for me, that was, you know, it was all just kind of like part of my job like, as this evangelist. And, you know, as that company, we were looking, we were kind of getting acquired. There was making some big changes, as you can imagine, with that many people. I remember it was November 2nd, 2013. I was talking to my mom, I'm a mama's boy. I was talking to my mom just about like, life and things that I was working on and what excited me. And she just said, I really worry that what you're doing online or I'm, she was worried that, you know, because like, I, I didn't like social media for like, because I had the marketing team was what I worked with. I was like, I really, really like social media for my business or my brand. I liked it to you know, connect sports and, the, and that world. And she just kind of said like, are you actually the same person that you are offline? Like, are you being yourself, Brian? And I, of course, like to my mom, I was like, yeah, of course, mom. Yeah, of course I am. That's right. And she's like, well, it's weird. You don't have a hat on in your picture, your profile picture. And it was like something little like that, right? And so I've worn hats my entire life. It's been a part of my, you know, who I was. But I remember getting off that call. I walked into the mirror. I wrote on the mirror, like in Sharpie, like be yourself, right? I literally wrote on the mirror. And on that day, I started just to assess. And I was like, holy crap. The reason I'm struggling on what to post and how to write out these things and even to share my business on social media was I was trying to convey what I thought other people wanted to hear. Mm. And I was trying to be what I thought other people wanted to be. Yet my entire life was about me doing it my way. And, yeah. and that day changed. I mean, it was a big pivot, a big change. I, I became instantly transparent, which I can tell you anyone that embraces transparency. It's not a good thing to do it instantly. Like you want to gradually bring people gradually. on that journey. Like all of a sudden, like, where did that come from? Like, well, I was here the whole time. I was kind of faking it, but thanks. Mom. So yeah, so it was about that time that, you know, I was working at the data center speaking, things were taking off. I had just had my third kid. Things were kind of rolling like really well. And I got an award. It was actually an award by the economist and it was the top 25 social business leaders of the future in 2014. And what it was, uh, interestingly enough, my CEO comes in, he's like, I don't know how you got this, but like, apparently you're going to TED Talks and like the economist thinks what you're doing here at our company is cool. Like, yeah, that's like, like, he like tossed it down on my dad. And it wasn't like a, it wasn't a bad thing. It was just kind of his way of like, I don't, cause he didn't really like the social media side, but he understood like why I was doing it. What I ended up finding out was a partner of our company was stayed at our office for like a month and was blown away at the internal collaboration tools, the employee uh, advocacy and the social selling stuff that I was doing. He submitted he me. Submitted on, you. Uh, yeah. And then all of a sudden I got awarded and like the people that were awarded was like Scott Monty, who was running yeah. social and digital for Ford. Ford. Yeah. It was like the best. And like, I remember being like, what? And it was like that first moment where like, I got like a social card to share on social. And it was like, I was like, this is insane. You know, and this is 2014, like that idea of like even 
a social card didn't exist. You know, it was such a, yeah. and they sent me around to different events to be as an influencer, to speak, to kind of like collaborate, to share insights. And at that same time, the data center ended up getting acquired by CenturyLink. And part of their thing was like, we don't understand what an evangelist does. Like, He's not in sales. He's not in marketing. Like, and so my CEO kind of gave me the, I would say the golden parachute kick in the butt to get into entrepreneurship. He pretty much said, Hey, this needs to be your last day, but the companies that I invest in will be your first clients. Cause I know you have new kids and you know, spin something up and try that out. And so that's kind of where it started. I tried to launch a agency and I failed miserably at it myself individually. Actually, my business partner is running the agency now and killing it. It just wasn't the way of life that I knew working with agencies from a brand. I didn't really understand the agency life. So I, I, you know, I attempted that. I attempted some consulting. I did a lot of influencer work where, you know, I did like 18 IBM events in one year. I uh, did a lot of that kind of stuff. I think that's even probably right where you and I kind of originally yeah. kind of crossed paths. And my brand was iSocialFans. And the weird thing about iSocialFans was at one point I had eight Twitter handles. My last name is Fanzo. And so I put fans at the end of every one of them. And I, you know, those that don't know about me is like, I don't have a niche. I've never had one. Like I'm, you know, I was a guy, hockey player, fraternity guy, computer science major. Like nobody in those, either one of those did any of the other ones, right? Like, and surfing. That was the other one that I didn't even know about. Yeah. So like, you know, I played poker for a while uh, out of school, you know, like I'm a diehard Jeep fan. I've owned pit bulls. Like I have like a, and so part of it was like, for me, like when I jumped on Twitter, I was like, I need an account for everything. And one of the accounts was like, Ooh, how do I merge my Apple fanboydom and my social media? And so that's where iSocial comes from is the I is from like iPhone, iPad, and then iSocial fans. And so I had those eight accounts and I happened to just tweet out of that one. And then as I got that award, I was like, Ooh, that'll be the account. And then when I started the business, I was like, well, people started introducing me. They didn't know my name. They would say, oh, this is iSocial fans. Like they, it became a brand. And I will tell you from 2014 to 2018, I don't think most people knew what my first name was. They, I mean, it was, it was pretty interesting from that standpoint because I went all in on iSocial fans as a brand, you know, every account, website, and I built the business iSocial fans. And so it took a while to figure out like that entrepreneur world as I was kind of evolving, you know, influencer, all that stuff that I was doing. And, you know, and then weirdly, you know, I wish someone would have given me the heads up earlier. They're like, I didn't realize like professional speaking was like a gig, right? Like my good friend and mentor, Scott uh, Stratton, you know, he says at 14, he saw Les Brown on the TV and he knew he wanted to be a speaker. I'm like, well, I wish someone would have given me a heads up because I, I, I spoke at the government from 2004 to 2010, you know, from 2012 to 2014, I was the face of a, of a data center speaking at these ginormous events. I didn't take one picture. I didn't document one testimonial. There's not one video <laughs> because I didn't know I did. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, it's still the largest event I ever spoke at, even though I've been speaking full time now for you know almost five years, was one of the events I spoke at as a sponsor for the data center company, which was like 22,000 people that I spoke in front of. And there's not one picture or video that's out there of it. Like I even like had gone into it. And so it was around that time as I was getting influencer work and I'll give a massive shout out to IBM and Brian Kramer. Brian Kramer was the agency of record for IBM and we became really good friends and they would just put me on stages and I'm like, holy cow, this is your thing. Like, and I was like, yeah, it is. But like, I don't know how to monetize. Like where, how much do you make? Like, and like, you know, still figuring that out. It's an interesting journey. But yeah, that's how I kind of came to where I'm at now. And you know, the interesting part is I've kind of rebranded under what I call the digital futurist. Mm -hmm. Because when I was in 2014, I got that award, future social business leader. And in the tagline, they put millennial Brian Fanzo. 
And that kind of stuck for a long while. And I kind of owned it. Let's, let's, let's be real. I owned that. I, I went in, I called myself a pager wearing millennial. I mean, I actually have the pager sitting on my desk right now that, that I wear <laughs> on stage as a, as a gimmick. And I owned it. So I, I did a lot of you know, content. I was the token millennial. When someone was like, we need to hire a, a millennial influencer. Well, that was me. But it really didn't describe, you know, when you have no niche and you do a little bit of everything and people can't really describe who you are or what you do. It has its limits. And so recently I'm rebranding to the digital futurist, which really helps. I mean, it's the greatest, to me, it's the greatest clarity I've ever had, where it connects my background, my cybersecurity, a lot of the things that I've always loved doing with also the digital marketing world that I've been living in. And so that's kind of what's happened recently. And now I'm in a transition point, kind of even moving away from iSocial fans. And so, man, it's amazing how fast all this world works. That's kind of how I got there here. And it's a lot of learning, a lot of lessons. And like I said, entrepreneurship's the, the hardest thing out there. It is, man. I'll tell you, it's, it's one of those things. I've had a lot of businesses, not just doing my own business consulting and stuff, but I've had, you know, I used to own a bar in Chico, California, where Sierra Nevada's from. I mean, I've had a lot of background in, in businesses and man, entrepreneurship is not for everybody. I think that's what people think that I took a class, one of the classes I took in college and I'll never forget the instructor. There was only two like entrepreneurship classes at that time. This was, how old are you, Brian? 40 something? Uh, 38. 38. Okay. So I'm 44. So I'm about six years older. So, but this was, I took this entrepreneurship class and I'll never forget in the class, one of the, you know, the instructor was like, Hey, why are you guys taking the course? And everybody's answer was like, Oh, it's cause I want to own a restaurant and I like to golf. So what I want to do is I want to open the restaurant and then I just want to go golf full time. And the instructor's going, mm, that's interesting. What about you? Well, it's because I don't want to have a boss. It's cause I don't really like having a boss, you know? And, and so I just, you know, that somebody else will, will take that on. And so, you know, and I'll be the, the big head honcho and the, she goes, oh, okay. And so, you know, there's other people that are saying stuff. And I've had already been an entrepreneur at that point. So I'm kind of <laughs> laughing going, oh, Jesus, these, these poor kids. So we go and the instructor goes, well, just so you know, like if you think that you're not going to be, you're, you're going to be the only boss, right? Nobody is going to answer to you. Well, when you have your restaurant, everybody that comes in is going to go, hey, Brian, you're the owner. Hey, come here real quick. I want to give you some suggestions on things that you should do. And that's the consumer. And you're going to have to listen to them. So everybody walks in that place. You have 500 a day. They're all going to have an opinion for you and they're going to, not everybody's going to be able to talk to you. But the point is, is that you're going to have 500 bosses, right? Everybody's yep. going to tell you what you need to do to change that. And then if you want to go and, and golf, that's not a problem. But just know every day that you golf, that your employees are probably going to try to figure out a way, some way to steal your money, take money from you, do something to your restaurant. Things are going to go bad. You're going to get bad. At this point, there was no Yelp, but Yelp reviews or whatever yep. that is. And then you know, people are like, oh my God, I don't know if I want to be an entrepreneur. And you know, of course I was like, I've already been there. I've already you know, been punched in the face enough and, and felt like, God, this is really awesome. I felt like I'm, you know, obviously you know who Nate Diaz is. I feel like Nate Diaz is like, if I'm not bleeding out of my face at a certain point, then I'm just not having a good day, right? I mean, that's, that's just, it's not productive. Nate doesn't start doing well until the third round after it looks like he's almost dead, yeah, um, where anybody true. else would have been dead. But it's, it's funny you talk about that journey and just that, that transition and being able to do that. It's kind of nice to hear that, you know, you hear you're like, I had great jobs and did phenomenal and made good money. And then all of a sudden I got cut, jumped and you know, here I am in this entrepreneurial thing. And you're kind of switching from the iSocial fans into, I guess, pretty much speaking full time. Is that kind of where you're spending the influencer speaking thing? I am. I 95% of my revenue now. And I can tell you, never smart to put all those buckets in one egg. Uh, you know, put all your eggs in one basket, especially when some virus comes out of nowhere and you're losing gigs out of, like crazy. But you know what? For me, part of it was also like I needed to like recenter to restart, right? I was speaking... You know, I did, it was probably 2017 was probably like 40% of my revenue was speaking. 2017, 2018, like 60%. You know, I hired a speaker agent. I was really kind of going all in and I was, but I was still kind of balancing like client, customer, consulting. And I'm one of those people that speaking is the, it's the greatest job I've ever had. It's what I want to do the rest of my life. But I've also been a big believer in like, yeah, you know, I need to surround myself with a team. I have a lot of things I was going through in my personal life. And so I made the, the pivot and focus to add clarity so people could understand how to hire me. 
I now realize that the clarity should have been the digital futurist brand, not the switching revenue streams. But I think it's a lesson learned, but it's where I'm at now. And I mean, I'm very blessed. I did uh, a little over, I think, 66 gigs last year, which was my best year that I've, you know, I've had as a speaker so far. And for me, that part of it's, it's interesting how you kind of evolve. You know, it's one of those industries in space where like, there's not like a set way you make money and there's not a set way of how much you charge. And there's not like a set way of how you get your gigs. Or one of the things about speaking that drives me the most crazy is that and no one really tells you this ahead of time. So if anyone's thinking about speaking, I'm going to give you a heads up. I wish I had. It is the most business development driven job I've ever had in my life where you can crush it. Like last week I spoke at an event called B2B MX in Scottsdale, Arizona. It was my third time speaking there. But guess what? They are never going to hire me again. Like I tapped it out. I, I spoke three years or three times in a row. Like they might hire me in three years. But like I crushed it. They were so happy. Gave me a testimonial. And I got off stage and was like, all right, now I need to go find the next gig. Right? Like it's, you know, it's, it's an interesting world where you do your best and more than likely the place that hired you won't hire you the next year. Right? And so it's, that part has taken a lot to get used to and a lot to, uh, you know, evolve, but I love it. And I'm, you know, I'm spinning up a couple other revenue uh, streams here shortly with a, you know, a book that'll be out soon. And then a couple other things that I'm working on, but uh, yeah, right. As of right now, it's all speaking all the time or it was before the virus comes out. Yeah, I mean, the speaking thing and, and you, you have more experience, you've had more uh, gigs on stage than I have. But I tell you, the speaking thing is always interesting because it really, I think people, because once again, you know how it is, it's like paid, not paid, you know, where's it going to be at? Who's going to be the audience? And there's always this thing of like, okay, is it worth it? And what are they going to be paying for? And it is hard because, you know, you think in the beginning, I thought the same thing. I thought, man, these people are going to bring me back every year, right? Like, I, absolutely. Like, why would they not? And every single one of them said, hey, once again, phenomenal job. But you know what? Hey, we're not, we're going to wait for two years. I'm like, God, why are they waiting? And that was something for me. To, it was a learning curve, right? It's like, okay, why are you waiting? It's like, it's not you personally. They just want new people on that stage, right? If people are paying. They don't want to see you each time, right? As much as you think that they do want to see you each time, right? It's like, they just need a little break from you. You know, it's, don't worry. It's, it's not you. It's me. You know, it's not me. It's you, I guess, or whatever. Hey, one one of those. Yeah, one of those. But yeah. It's one of those, it's a weird thing, man. The speaking thing, I, I do enjoy it, man. I think my plan is to do more speaking events, but it's, and then go have some fun as well. You know, I'm, I'm 44. So I'm getting into those, you know, I'm getting into the yep. age where I'm like, okay, if I'm going to go someplace, I'm going to be there for a week. Like before it was right. like, I would just get in and get out. I mean, you know how it is. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. you know, I, I did just go to this airport and that airport and not a big deal. Now I'm like, you know, I need to rub Ben Gay on my body and stuff. <laughs> and I got to like, I got, you know, I got to pull my beard to make sure it's still growing. I mean, there's just a lot of struggles that, that, you know, that weren't here when you were younger, but it's a, uh, it's an interesting journey, man. I hear you with the whole monetization of whatever you got going on. It's like, how do you make money? Cause it's, you touched on it earlier. If I had a dollar for every person that emailed me or sent me a LinkedIn that says, Hey, let's collaborate. I could retire. I actually yeah. could retire in probably Belize or something like that. And probably maybe buy a hotel at this point because of, which is awesome. I mean, I'm not saying telling people don't reach out to me, but it is, right, for sure. you know, it is hard to focus, right? It's like, how do I, you know, I go on, I don't want to, I want to be responsive to everybody, but yet I can't work with 10,000 people. It's like, I've got to figure out what exactly you're going to be offering. So, but, you know, especially in this, the world we're living in now, you know, like we have access to everything and everyone, right? And like, you know, I love social media, but you know, so many people look at social media manager and be like, Hey, I'm on Facebook. I could do your job. Right. And like, we're like, Oh, that's how this works. Like, like, Oh, I'm not afraid of the stage. Why am I not getting speaking gigs? Why am I not getting you know, like, and like in this world, like, I mean, I remember, you know, growing up in Pittsburgh, like I didn't have access to anything. Like I didn't know anywhere, what anyone else was doing anywhere, let alone even in Pittsburgh. Right? Like my exposure was to literally the people I grew up with. And yeah. now we're able to grow up and understand how people do things, where they do things. You can courses and you know, and you get sold to everywhere. So like, it's such an amazing time, but all at the same time, like figuring out, your path, your own, you know, strategy, even your own way of standing out while also being hireable. Like all these things are things that I think today digitally, and I don't even think I know are 
things that no one prior to us ever thought about, right? Everybody worried about competition in your area, like before yeah. the internet. You yeah. don't worry about competition in Vegas where like me now, like if all of a sudden a speaker's doing great things in, you know, in Mumbai, I mean, they can cost me gigs in a heartbeat. And so it's, you know, it's, it's amazing. Like it is an amazing opportunity and it's a, I absolutely love the world we live in, just that idea we can connect, but um, it does take a lot to kind of prioritize and figure out kind of your own path. It is, man. It is awesome because it does open up the world, right? You're like, this is awesome. Now, you know, I can only sell in a certain area. Now I can sell the whole world. But now you also have the whole world competing against you, right? Also as well, right? So that is a hard part. I remember I was on the, I went to, uh, I spoke at Entreport and the CEO came on and he's like, hey, I want to interview an awesome guy. Awesome guy. The guy's over there, Landon Ray. And he asked me, he's like, hey, like, you know, about entrepreneurship. Like, I'm going to interview you. And what do you think about entrepreneurship? And he goes, do you know, do you think it's easier or harder? And I said, I think it's a lot harder. I said, there's benefits. There's great stuff, software. And there's all kinds of things. Right. but it becomes a lot more difficult, right? I mean, it is, there's like so many different things and especially with new platforms or news this and you got to do this and here goes a new technique. I mean, we're all collecting, you know, we're drinking out of the water hose, right? And trying to figure out like what we should do to be successful. And so it is, once again, resources and all that kind of stuff, you can have hiring people international or they're going to be a little cheaper for you. Like, so there's other things, which is awesome. But then there's the other side of it where it's like, and there's a lot more variables, which once again, but you can also go to Udemy. I can go anywhere and get some training instantly. You went on, learned SEO in two weeks, right? At least got yep. a good knowledge of it, what you need to do on your site. So you could have hired somebody or you just go listen to blogs and do this and spend a hundred bucks in two weeks. And now you're, you're not, you know, going to be probably the main SEO guy, but you can at least go in and you know, knock some stuff out and at least know what people are doing if they're going to help you. So there is, man, there's some, some huge upsides because it is the accessibility is awesome. But then again, once again, as you know, I mean, I have a, most people don't know this. I have a 36 person team. Wow. So the reason why I'm telling you that is because it's trying to keep up with everything that's going on. Like, you know, especially people coming at me. I mean, I have assistants that help me with all those things because it becomes, it becomes hard, man. It's like, I want to respond to everybody and I want to be, but it's just, you know, once again, I'm not saying anybody listening to this, don't reach out to me. But the issue is, is that you got to figure out who you're going to talk to and who you think might be a deal and what you got going on and how you're going to work it out. And, you know, anyways, it's the struggles are real. But once again, it is an awesome time. It is an awesome time in the sense that, you know, I can go put a course out there and it can now go out to the world. And if I sell 500 courses at $100, it's a pretty good chunk of money, right? And you get that 500 people out of the whole world, like that's a pretty low conversion rate last time I checked. So <laughs> it's not too difficult. It's just, I think you and I are the same in the sense that it's like, there's a lot of opportunity. I mean, almost too much opportunity, but then having ADHD probably doesn't help. Like, how do we focus in on exactly what we want to do? Like, how do we maneuver this thing, right? And we have a lot of experience from what we've done, but it's still difficult to do. Like, I mean, to this day, my mom is like, you should probably be on something because I'm always, I've got like five businesses, like literally. Right. Now I have a team backing me up. There's no way I could do it on my own. But like, she's like, how do you do that? Like, I don't understand you know, and that's when we start talking about that. You know, my mom's like, we should get you on some drugs, I think, or something <laughs> to kind of bring you, you know, because it just is one of those things. Like I look at things and now I, you know, Shane, I guess Shane 1.0, now Shane 2.0. Shane 1.0 would take on 50,000 projects and would, you know, kill himself to get it done. Shane 2.0, I'm going to say is a little wiser. I'm not going to say a lot wiser, but we're, we're definitely sneaking up on a little. And I think it's just one of those things, you know, it's like you learn through this journey of being an entrepreneur and everything else and just life and your journey of what you, the paths you've taken. And now it's kind of gotten you where you're at today. So, I mean, kudos to all that, man. I mean, I think, like I said, you've, I've been following your journey for a while now and it's been awesome to see you on stage. I've seen you a few events that I've been at and been able to be on stage with you a few times as well. So it's been awesome. It's been awesome. Thanks, so tell us, what do you look at? So when we talk about 2020, so let's talk about that. What do you think in regards to, because obviously we're, you've got your, I'm not going to say a new title because you're a digital futurist. You're always that. You just kind of newly dubbed yourself that, right? right? But you've always had that title 
title. So 2020, what do you see like in regards to, I'd say like the future, because I'm not, I don't think you're Nostradamus by any means, but I think you have a good idea of like, what do you see? And obviously digital and some other stuff like that. Like, let's touch on that a little bit. Sure. Yeah. I love that. I love that where you're going there. I think, you know, it's interesting. You know, the, you know, like the podcast that I host that I've hosted now for like four years called FOMO Fans, The Fear of Missing Out. Last name's Fanzo. And I launched the podcast originally with the mindset that I wanted to help people embrace their FOMO, embrace the fear of missing out because I live on that edge. Like, like for free time, I used to like hack my iPhone. I listen to podcasts about technology and business as like my escape. And I learned it took about, you know, almost a year of that show to realize that, holy crap, no one really, not everyone, like there's a small percentage that want to embrace FOMO. They would rather find ways to focus on what they're doing and still be in the know with what's coming. And so I, I kind of changed, like, you know, internally as well as kind of like in the language of the show where rather than helping you embrace your FOMO, I try to cure your FOMO, right? And I would tie that into where we're at now, right? Because if you look at where we're at 2020, I think we are in you know, very interesting times, even before the current state that we're in uh, you know, at the moment, in the sense of we're more connected than we've ever been before. We have more technology and more opportunities to have our voice heard than we've ever had before. While at the same time, we've never been more lonely. We look at the state of the Me Too movement where we exposed this ridiculously horrible behaviors that have been okay and we've been turning a cheek to for years. While at the same time, some people blaming digital and social media. And it was like, no, this just gave people a voice to not allow the bad to be continuing to happen. And, and we have to get to an inflection point, which is I think where we're at, we're getting there at the moment, where we're getting to an inflection point of like the balance. And this is where I really focus my attention on. It's the balance and really the synergy between innovation, technology, digital, and humanity and what we want, what do we believe, the idea that we can come together. I mean, the coronavirus is of course huge right now as we're recording this. And I said it, I said it yesterday in this big group call I had with some other speakers that I think it's like weirdly, I like to change the shift, the perspective on a lot of things. And I was like, it's gonna be the unifying thing for humanity as a world to realize we're all in this together, fighting something that we're not sure how it even started or where it's at. And the only way we're going to you know, somehow move forward is like sharing of information and realizing that it doesn't matter what political party you are. It doesn't matter what your race is. It doesn't matter what your genuine, you know? And so to me, this is like that there is these elements while at the same time, the election that's going to happen in November will make us the most divided country that we've ever been. Right? Like, so if we, if we look at all of that, I look at the future and trends where it's really about, you know, we talk about, you know, in marketers, we talk about experiences and we talk about, you know, there's lots of that buzz. I wouldn't even say there's a buzzwords. I, I talk about experience as well, but I think what we have to start to look at is, and I, and I call this digital empathy and it's kind of a big soapbox for me recently is that how do we make sure that things that we're moving forward with allow us to be closer to humanity and mankind and humankind, not further. And I would say like we use websites and digital and social media and phones to get further and further away from the people that we love, the customers, the, you know, it's, it's amazing, right? Like you said, we said earlier, like we can reach the world. Like we want the world to go to our website through a contact form that they get an automatic reply to a bot. They get put on an email newsletter that says we love you, but don't reply to it. Like that's the world we've created, right? And when it comes down to it, the weirdest things are the things that my dad told me in high school as he was my dad's a candy salesman about like relationships, people buy from people they like. We want to know that we make a difference. We care about belonging. Those are probably more important today than they've ever been. Yeah. And so I look at the future. I look at a lot of things where it's kind of exciting to see we're at that point, right? We're at the point where I'm hearing it on lots of stages. The word community has come back and it's not community from a buzzword. It's community of realizing like, 
let's surround ourselves, like you said, with your team. And like, and so when I look at these trends, like artificial intelligence, virtual reality, augmented reality, look at all like machine learning, all of these like crazy innovations, they will never be successful until we get over the current hump that we are at where technology will never solve people problems. We have to identify and solve people problems with people. And then technology can scale, amplify, allow us to innovate, work when we're sleeping, like all the things that technology believes. And so, you know, I look at things like TikTok, as crazy as it is, like, you know, I've been studying TikTok for 18 months. I have no desire to be TikTok famous, no desire to help brands, my own brands or brands I work with to actually get on TikTok. But the psychology of the creator, the people that are using it, the amount of time people are spending on it is blown my mind, right? And I've interviewed 24 different uh, creators, eight different brands on the platform, and they laughed like, Brian, you didn't really ever talk about TikTok. They're like, you know, like, you talked about like the platform, but you didn't talk about like growing followers or what kind of content work. Like, and I really wanted to understand the psychology. And, and one of the things that I felt was really interesting, which I think, and, and remember, my whole goal was, how do I know it works here so that I can help us integrate that on all of the rest of the things that we do? Like that was literally my goal was like, and I can tell you, it's, this, it's what's successful for me. Like I dove all in on live streaming and everybody thought I wanted to be a live streamer. Like that was like the brand that people thought I had. <laughs> Meanwhile, they had no idea that it really was for me to test out how do we tell our story in a live environment with transparency, the fact that perfection's a fairy tale and we can't control variables. And then I integrated that into my speaking, into my marketing, my clients, uh, onboarding of you know, customers, all that stuff. And so what I've looked at from like a TikTok perspective is that, you know, one of the most popular hashtags on TikTok, which, you know, joins the people that are there is mom life. One of the second most popular ones is single mom. Another one is nurses. There's doctors, there's lawyers. My favorite TikToker is actually a lawyer based out of Charleston, South Carolina. And so I started asking them like, like, why aren't you using like Instagram or, or Twitter or Facebook or any of these other, you know, like all these other things that exist. And they were like, you know what, Brian, like, I got on there because I wanted to see what it was about. And then I realized there was people that are like me that were creating content. And then I realized that I didn't have to even use my voice. I could create videos like dancing to music or someone else's audio and I could kind of share my personality and it kind of got me started. And they're like, and one of the common themes was they weren't a creator, but they have a story to tell and they wanted to find their people. There's no other platform in the world today when you log in that the feed is full of what the hashtags are that you watch and the hashtags are that you create. So if you are a mom and you only follow and connect with people that use mom type hashtags, you've now found your tribe and it's a really interesting. And so when I look at that and it's not how TikTok's going to influence us, it's actually how today's users are already using it. You know, all of us, like we like to believe like the platforms, the driving, like the platform just facilitated something that we've all believed is that we want to find our people. We want to connect with them. We want them to accept us for who we are, right? Like the amount of mental health conversations, those kind of things that are existing on that app excite me to a level of, I would have never imagined, right? Because we just talked about ADHD on a show like this, and it's taken a long time for us to get comfortable enough to do that. And there's, you know, there's kids that are growing up, especially those under the age of 30, that are now finding ways to find their people and not feel alone. And so I'm super excited about where we're going. I do feel like 2020 is going to be a tough year. I mean, coronavirus is, you know, coming out of nowhere. We didn't expect, I thought it was maybe a tough year before that, that came here. But I think, you know, if I looked at it, you know, we, we hear things like marketing will soon not look like marketing. And I don't like using that kind of things. But one of the things, one of my bold predictions is that we're going to stop measuring engagement. We're not going to stop reporting on engagement because let's face it, engagement on Twitter is different than engagement on an email list versus engagement on a website. We're going to start finding ways to categorize and manage our connections. 
And what that really means is it's the people that are our super fans, our super customers, right? Like, and I, I like working with big brands, IBM, Dell, Samsung, all of them. And the idea is, okay, yes, we can market to everyone. We can still play in this world. But when we get this, like we find our tribe, how do we activate our tribe to do the marketing for us? And so like all the things we've heard. And I think one of the biggest problems has been that we all believed in community. We all believed in customer experience. We all believed in the power of social media, giving everybody a voice, but we didn't build the foundation one layer under to kind of facilitate this at a scale. And so that's where I'm most excited about is I, I look at this as like, it's the new version of community and it's the new version of direct focus on, hey, we're going to embrace, we're going to amplify, we're going to invest in these people. And like influencer marketing, let's face it, was the gateway to all of this. Like influencer marketing wasn't new, but in this world it was. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it had vanity metrics and all this stuff. But let's face it, every business is in the business of trust. The problem is in this digital world, how do people trust you? Like it's very hard and it's hard to stand out. And I believe if you facilitate and you build that community and tribe as your foundation of your brand and your business, they become the vehicles for extending your trust out. And it doesn't matter where you are, what account you're on, what your current business is, what your business will be tomorrow. They will follow you where you go and they will be your fuel for kind of igniting that fire across. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm fired up about it. I'm not sure that's where you want me to go with that, but um, it's interesting to me where we're at now and I couldn't be more bullish on the future. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. No, I love that. I, and I think once again, that is, it's always been the, I guess the hardest part. It's always, we've talked about it for a long time is finding your evangelists, right? Finding the people that love your product. Like it's no different than clients. You talk about clients and it's like, it's a lot easier to retain your client and keep your current client happy than go and find a new one. So you want to go, you can go try to pull in new fans. That's nothing wrong with that. But let's look at the people that are already willing to go get Samsung tech dude on their neck, right? Like yep. that's the person that you need to engage and, and say, Hey, listen, let's do something for you. Let's figure this out. Cause obviously, you, you know, you have a Facebook group that has 10,000, you know, Samsung fans. Like that's beautiful. Like how do you engage those types of individuals. They're already fans. Like now all you got to do is make them feel even more special. And so there's, I think that's awesome. I think it's cool about, about tapping into that. So we're almost at the end of this. So I've got another question for you. And I think this is, I'm going to be interesting to hear your answers on this one. So if you could have dinner with anybody, anybody in the world, dead or alive, who would you have dinner with? Now, there's going to be three individuals at this table other than yourself. Three individuals. Yeah. Well, the first one that came to mind was Roberto Clemente, uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates humanitarian died in a plane crash kind of before he met his peak. But he had an uncanny ability to understand his meaning in life and in the world. I've got to study him as my, someone my dad always looked up to and I didn't really understand why. And, you know, the idea of putting those that you love before self in an individuality sport like baseball, yeah, yeah. Roberto Clemente would be the one that I think without question would be someone that I look at and say, man, I would love to just sit across from that person and just understand how he put there. The second one's probably an obvious one and I don't really care. It's obvious because it's someone that in inspired me that being a geek was okay and being someone that you know had your own way of style and your own way of doing things. So the second one would definitely be Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs is taken from us way too early. If you look at how old he is right now, how old he would have been right now, yeah. Man, it's just, it's tragedy on that side. So like, and honestly, part of it for me with Steve Jobs is a lot less about Apple and a lot more about, you know, you create a company, you get fired from your own company. You create another company, you're not sure that the resilience, the sacrifices, yeah. and really you know, part of it would come down to like regrets or even, you know, hey, you know, the family life that he um, kind of neglected and is known for neglecting. Like, I don't look at any of these people as perfect, but uh, yeah. Steve Jobs would definitely be number two. And then third one would be an interesting because I, I think there's lots of different people, lots of different brands, lots of different ways you can go with like the people that you look up to. But I'm a huge believer in studying, researching, investing, spending time 
with people that are outside of your niche, outside of your world. And so interestingly enough, the third one, which I don't think anyone else's table will be this diverse, would be Dax Shepard, who is from Punk. He is the host of my current favorite podcast, Armchair Expert. Actually, as soon as we get off this, I will be listening to the episode that went live today. Um, he's the husband of Kristen Bell, Kristen, voice yeah. of Frozen. But Dax on his podcast and in life, you know, he was, he went to AA, he's very transparent in who he is. Um, he found the love of his life, but he's also, you know, very open about all the things on his podcast. It's the most intimate, greatest interviews I've ever listened to in my entire life. I believe he's a, a more dynamic interviewer than Joe Rogan, which is saying a lot. I'm a Joe Rogan fan. I would put him up there with Howard Stern as far as your ability to talk to celebrities and those that we all think we know and get them to share stuff that they don't really hmm. understand her. honestly part of the reason i would i would want to sit down with him is he is a fellow proud dad and you know like for me going through a divorce a lot of things that you know my, i want to be a dad since i was 11 years old and so being a dad is is my greatest job but there's elements where people you connect with someone and like i would have never thought the guy from punked with ashton kutcher running around like a crazy person right. would be the person i would select but at the same time I was running around like a crazy person for plenty of years there too. And so that's a heck of a table, right? I think Roberto Clemente, Steve Jobs, and Dax Shepard, that would be my dream table. Roberto Clemente, it's funny. I actually had his base. I probably still do have it somewhere. I remember I have his baseball card. Like I remember right when you said that, I instantly the Donruss baseball card popped in my head. Like instantly I saw the, the yellow and the red nice. and the black. Yeah, and I don't know why. It's that kind of stuff. I don't remember my wife's birthday, but I can tell you exactly <laughs> what Robert, Roberto Clemente looked like on his card from whatever it was, whatever year it was. Um, well, awesome, Brian. Hey, man, I know that you've been busy. I know you got a lot of stuff going on. If anybody needs to get in contact with you, obviously in regards to your speaking events, uh, having you come in as an influencer or anything like that, where can they get in contact with you? So on social, I'm iSocialFans, letter I, social fans on every single channel. My new website, speaker website is brianfanzo.com. So brianfanzo.com is where you can get in touch of all my programs, everything from hosting and emceeing events uh, to speaking to my virtual products. Uh, I'm launching in uh, less than 10 days, a new podcast for me, which is all around interviewing the, and it's around the future of. And so it's going to be a lot of fun. It's the future of everything is simple is really where I'm going here. And I'm going to be interviewing people from all walks of life. My goal is to make it very anti-niche or no niche like I am. And, um, <laughs> and you know, I'm on every channel. I'm on literally every social network. I'm very active on every social network. I don't suggest everyone to do that. I do it so I can help my <laughs> clients understand. So uh, my call to action is uh, I don't have an email list or anything to sell is is, uh, pick your favorite social network and uh, give me a follow there. So whichever one is your favorite, I can promise you, it could be Pinterest. I'm pretty active on Pinterest at the moment. I've even been spending a lot of time on Reddit, although my username on Reddit has never been what it, should, what it should be. But if your favorite social network is out there, reach out, connect with me, ask questions. I, I love being engaged. And Shane, I, I love that you had me on. I, it's funny. I think when, I, when you reached out, I was like, Matt, we've done shows together. And I'm like, we haven't. Like, we connect so easily on social and Twitter and you know, offline. We've been to numerous events together and hung out. But it's cool to be able to engage like this with someone that you feel like you've known for so long. So thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the power of social, man. It's one of those like weird things where I, you know, I got to look at the same things. Like we've been in a lot of different places and even I've been on the same stage separate days and stuff. Yep. But anyways, awesome time. Brian, thank you so much once again for being on the podcast. You guys, if you're listening to this podcast, you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe to it as well and tell your audience and make sure I'm going to tell you guys about my course as well that we've got my How to Be an Influencer course. So if you guys want more information on that, go to howtobeaninfluencer.com. Take a look at that. Um, get sign up early and we'll be launching here in the next few weeks. Brian, you're the man. Thanks for having me again. Cheers.